know, Christmas has a lot of traditions based around it. That's what this series called The Best Part has been about. A lot of those Christmas traditions and what really is the best part of those things for us. And we've talked about things like the lights and the, the beauty of the decorations and even the food that we eat and the movies that have become sort of a part of our Christmas traditions. Certainly the gifts and uh, the things that we have given and received at this time, uh, that, that's a big part of Christmas and our traditions. But to me, the best part is time with family. How many of y'all would say that's true for you? When you think about Christmas coming together, it really is more about family coming together and remembering what Christmas is all about. Now, that has nothing to do with the culture's idea of Christmas, but it has everything to do with the creation of the family. You know, growing up, it was important for the family to be together on Christmas Day. I remember mom putting the Christmas music on. It would play all night long. Usually, now this sort of dates me, it was Bing Crosby or Frank Sinatra or something like that, you know. Um, some of y'all don't even know who that is. See, that's sad. That's sad. There was a lot of baking going on. Uh, I, the aroma of that food just filled the house. How many of y'all grew up with that going on in your house? Where you just, that, the wonder, you smell the cookies and the cakes and, and all of that. Now, we would always have a red velvet cake. Anybody else ever have a red velvet cake? I don't know why, but it was always good. Hot chocolate, candlelight in the windows, the glow of the Christmas tree. Now, now we were never rich. My mom was a single mom bringing up her children on a very small income. And though we didn't have a lot of expensive things, I don't think we as children ever knew we were poor. <laughs> she always provided such a loving environment. We always had something to eat. I felt safe. I felt loved. I felt like I belonged to something greater than myself, a family. And that's why Christmas is my favorite time of year. As our family grew and mom's children had children, we still came together and celebrated something greater than us. Yes, we had the Santa stuff going on, but it was more about the family and about Christ. We would get up early in the morning, unwrap the gifts, certainly like most people. We would all sit together and give and receive those gifts. There was a lot of laughter and joy. There was love. But it was all about the family being together and understanding and recognizing that this was a blessing from God. There aren't many times each year that we would all come together in one place at one time. Now, hopefully, you've had that kind of time today. Now, my family was able to celebrate uh, this morning. Chrissy and I spent time with our youngest daughter, Sydney, and Alyssa. We went over to Alyssa's house, uh, Christian, and our granddaughter, our only grandchild, McKenna, and she's just starting to learn things. And 
That was exciting. Christy's dad was able to come over with his wife. And then we went over and spent lunch with my mom and, and were able to just celebrate with my oldest brother and my middle brother. So it was a, a wonderful time there. And while we were there, uh, Ben and Lane called, uh, you know, they're out in Rhode Island where she's just come through surgery, two surgeries in two days. She was on a ventilator for three days. So her, her throat is really uh, sore from the vent and everything, but she's doing as good as they could have hoped. So all of that was just wonderful to be able to connect on Christmas morning. We've been reminded that every day is a gift. Do y'all know that? Every single day is a gift not to be taken for granted. We don't have a promise of tomorrow. So we should celebrate. We should celebrate each other and love each other. That time with family is important. Now today... We, as leaders of the church, wanted to give you and your family a chance to seek out the Lord together. I don't think we've ever done it this way before, but we thought, hey, we're going to try to have Sunday evening worship. Most of the time when we have worship on a Christmas morning, we don't get many people. We've got more people tonight than I think we've ever had for a Christmas morning worship. But as the oldest home of faith, the family is the natural place for worship to take place. Family has existed since God created Adam and Eve. Family existed long before the church ever existed. In fact, family has existed long before religion. It was within the family unit that faith first began to spread. So taking Christmas morning as a family to celebrate the birth of Christ together is not just the right thing to do, but it is the purest form of worship. God created the family. God created the families we read about in the gospel accounts. Family was important in the first Christmas. And in fact, the whole reason for Christmas ever happening had to do with family. And here's the big idea for today, and I hope that you will remember it. Jesus paved the way for all of us to be in the family of God. That was God's desire from the very beginning, that all of us be a part of his family. The very beginning of the Gospels is all about family. In fact, if you were to open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 1, what does it begin with? It begins with the genealogy. You know what a genealogy is? A genealogy is a listing of family members, right? Telling us who we belong to. In fact, the Christmas story itself is centered around a family. So in Matthew 1, we read about the genealogy of Jesus. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in verses 1 and 2, we read, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Jacob the father... Oh, and then we go down to verse 16. And Jacob, another Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. 
Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. So remember, if you ever read through those genealogies and struggle with the names, that's okay. But every one of those names represents a family member. This was Joseph's line going all the way back to David and then all the way back to Abraham. So Jesus was a direct descendant of Abraham, which is also a fulfillment of prophecy told to Abraham himself by God. God promised Abraham in Genesis 22, reading in verse 16, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the, as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed Because you have obeyed me. Now what are descendants but family? Y'all understand, right? Through Abraham's offspring. What a great promise. All nations on the earth would be blessed. And so it all started with a family. And then as the story itself evolved, we see particular family members. So let's just think about the Christmas story itself and some of the family connections there. First of all, we have some folks that may not always come up in the Christmas story, but they were a part of it. Their names were Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we read about these relatives of Mary and what was taking place in their lives in Luke chapter 1. So if you will, look over in Luke 1, beginning in verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, Because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, this Elizabeth that is mentioned here is the cousin of Mary. Remember, They were an older couple. Some would suggest that she could have been as old as 60 years old. It says that she was past childbearing years. How many of you ladies are 60 years old in here? Now, I don't want to embarrass anybody. My mom is proud to say she's 93. Now, you might not be proud to say you're over 60, but how would you like somebody to come tell you, hey, by this time next year, you're going to have a new baby? I don't think so. (laughs) Um... Uh, That's not something that would be on our list, but they had no children. And remember in that culture, the importance of having a son. Right or wrong, it was there. But it was while Zechariah was serving in the temple that an angel of the Lord appeared to him and told him what was about to happen. He told him Elizabeth was going to have a son. 
And he would be a prophet who would make ready the people of the Lord. So we go back to verse 13 of Luke 1. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but you know, that would have been hard to believe, wouldn't it? That, you know, you've been married all these years. You hadn't had any children. Your wife is 60. You're, you're probably older than that. And, and the angel comes and tells you this. And, you know, Zechariah sort of questioned it. You know, I, I'm not sure I really buy into what you're telling me. And then the angel didn't like exactly the way he responded, okay? The angel at that point identified himself and said, I am the angel Gabriel. Now, he didn't say this, but I'm thinking this is what he's... What do you think you're doing questioning me, you know? And so he told Zechariah, since you didn't believe, you're going to be mute until this child is born. Well, then Elizabeth, you know, is going to have a visitor from another family member. And that's where we read about Mary and Elizabeth. Um, they were cousins, as we mentioned. How, how many of you have cousins that you are able to hang around and see, and every time you get together, you just enjoy being with them, and, and it's just a big part of your family, <coughs> maybe extended family. How, how many of you go to reunions and enjoy those times together? Or maybe, maybe Christmas is one of those times where you and your extended family come together and you just enjoy talking about the old days, talking about your aunts and your uncles, and when you were as cousins were growing up together and the crazy stuff you did. Well, Mary, I don't necessarily think she had that kind of relationship with Elizabeth because in all probability, Mary was about 14 and Elizabeth was like 60. So there's sort of a large age difference there. But Mary received her own heavenly visitor. And the angel informs her of the news that her cousin, Elizabeth, who was like 60 years old, is going to have a child too. So we read this in verse 26 of Luke 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. 
You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he adds this little tidbit of information, verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Now that, again, must have been a lot to take in. I'm, I'm sure she wanted to be careful about, you know, who she told. And it seems she immediately knew someone that she could confide in. Because in the next verse we read, At that time Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting... The baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, as we find out here, lived in the hill country of Judea. Possibly, some think, maybe, in the town of Hebron. This is at least Jewish tradition. And according to Mark Moore, it would have taken Mary three or four days to travel from uh, Nazareth to the hill country of Judea to see her cousin. It would have been somewhere between 50 to 70 miles. But scripture tells us she got ready and she hurried to go see her cousin. And of course, when Mary got to Elizabeth's home, she was less than a week pregnant. But Elizabeth was six months pregnant. You imagine that being 60 years old, somewhere around there, being six months pregnant, you could use a little help. Anybody you think so? It makes sense that Mary would go to Elizabeth's. She could help Elizabeth out with her pregnancy, but also not be around her community while she was growing up and beginning to show her own pregnancy. Remember, too, that uh, as we mentioned, Mary's 14, Elizabeth's somewhere around 60. Huge age difference, but Mary would be of great help to Elizabeth. And I think Elizabeth could be of great help to Mary. But something happened as soon as they came together, which is really amazing. The baby in Elizabeth's womb leaped. Now we know that was John. He would be known as John the Baptist. And Elizabeth prophesied and called Mary's baby her Lord. And the two of them would have a great support for each other. 
Friends, family is important in times like that, don't you think? I mean, any, any of you ladies that have had babies, did any of your family members help you with those babies? Did they? Did you have some? Now, see, some of you might have been so far away, but if you were where your mom or somebody close to you could come and help, it, it would have been of great help and support. So after John was born, Scripture gives us this insight in verse 80 of Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So this child, John, this, this child would become again John the Baptist. He would grow up to prepare the way for his second cousin's ministry. He would be a prophet and call the people to repentance. So whenever you read in the gospel accounts about John the Baptist and Jesus, never forget that they were family. The core of a family is a husband and a wife. And certainly we have that represented in the Christmas story as well, Mary and Joseph. What I think is really a heavenly arrangement. I often talk with couples who believe God brought them together. I don't know if any of you feel that way about your spouse, that, you know, it just seemed like the circumstances, you know, it, it was just the right for us. And we remember that when Joseph received the news of Mary's pregnancy, you know, he wasn't so sure. He had a hard time believing it. And he even wondered about ending the relationship, but he was such a good guy. He wanted to do it quietly so she wouldn't be hurt by that. It's highly likely that the marriage between Joseph and Mary was arranged because that's how things were done in that day. And it's still done that way in many parts of the world. But it also seems like it was sort of meant to be. It was sort of heavenly ordained, if you will. I think Joseph was the right man for the task. And I think Mary was the right woman for the task. In Luke chapter 2, we read in verse 4, So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David, as the genealogy has already told us. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So a husband and a pregnant wife are really the core of the story, <coughs> each having to make choices about their lives. Would she accept her role as you know, God was calling her to that the angel had said to her. Would he accept her as his wife, knowing she was pregnant before they were married? Would he take care of the family and protect it, knowing they were in danger? And thus, he was being drawn into this thing that he didn't have anything to do with. Would he pick up and move to a different country, leaving family and friends behind so that he could protect this uh, young mother and her baby? Would he return when he was told to go back? Well, of course, you know the story well. The answer to every one of those questions is yes. What an example to our families today. Always say yes to God. You always say yes to God. God's going to bless you. So the first 
Christmas was all about family. But in truth, since the creation, God made the human existence about family. Think about family in God's story, if you will. Where does mankind begin? We go all the way back to this couple named Adam and Eve, right? From the very beginning, God understood that it wasn't good for us to be alone. In Genesis 2, 20 through 24, we read, So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woe man. Yeah. For she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So God created Adam and Eve, but he created Eve so that Adam would not be alone. And they would go on to have children and their family would grow. And many years later, another man came on the scene. He and his wife would have no children either. And they were getting on up in years too. It seems like that's sort of a general theme throughout scripture, isn't it? Like, Man, you're too, way too old to have kids. The only way that could ever happen is if God did it. Okay, well, here's God. He, he has a way of doing those things that are seemingly impossible. We don't have a problem that God can't solve. Y'all know that? We don't have a problem that God can't solve. It's when we decide we're going to have to have it our own way and not seek out God's solutions that we have problems. But later in Genesis, we meet this other man and the wife who had no children. And they too were promised that they would become parents. And as impossible as it seemed to them, it would happen. Now, why did it seem impossible? Well, it, it's because when they received the promise, he was 75 years old and she was at least 65 years old. I'd say that's a little past childbearing years, right? And yet Abraham's descendants are called the children of God. Abraham believed, but it didn't happen right away. It would take 25 more years before that child of promise came. And we go to Genesis 12 and just reading verses 1 through 3. The Lord God or the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Again, that same promise. God confirms his promise. Not only was Abraham going to have a child with his wife Sarah, but from that child would also Come many nations. And the most important promise to me is that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
Yes, everything God said would happen. And those descendants of Abraham would be called the children of Abraham. Now he is known as the father of faith. So they would also be called the children of God. Do you see all the family analogies here? And what's even better is this. Jesus made a way for us to be a part of God's family. That's why Jesus came in the first place. So that we all, every one of us, could have a chance. Now the Jewish people were the naturally born children of Abraham. The Gentiles who came to faith were adopted as children of God. In John 1, beginning in verse 1, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came into that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, friends, Jesus made a way so that those of us who were not naturally born children of Abraham could become children of Abraham or, in essence, children of faith. The point is that God was building a family, the family of God, the church. You see, friends, the church is made up of people from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Revelation 7, 9 reminds us, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. That is a reflection of us. And all those who have gone before us and all those who will come after us who have put their faith in the one and only Son of God. This is what Jesus came to do. He came to bring more people into the family of God. He came that all of us could be in heaven with our Father 
in heaven. We read in Galatians 3, 7, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Those of us who have submitted ourselves to Christ, who have faith in Jesus, are also children of Abraham because we follow the same Savior. Friends, this is the hope that came when Jesus was born. It wasn't a hope just for one family or for one nation. It was a hope for a lost and dying world. And one day, because of what Jesus did, and because of our acceptance of what he did, we're going to have a great reunion, worshiping and celebrating the birth of our Savior should be the best part of what we as families do at Christmas time. The traditions we form as a family today can lead our family to that great reunion. It's one thing to come together in a living room and open presents we've given to each other, but it will be even grander when we come into the presence of Jesus himself and that gift is there before us. Christmas, the birth of Jesus, was all about family. God worked through one family so that we could all be a part of the same family one day. And Jesus paved the way for that to happen. Are you a part of that family? Let's give him praise and glory. Father, we come to you. You are the leader of our family. You are our father. We thank you for inviting us to be a part of your family. Family is so important. It's existed long before organized religion. It, it should be the place where our faith begins. And so, Father, give our dads and our moms, our grandparents, our aunts and our uncles the wisdom to lead our children to you. May we celebrate together this great promise that we can all be a part of your family because of what Jesus has done for us. And, Father, we love you for it. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.